First Samuel, we'll start in chapter 13. We'll roll over into chapter 14. Um, we'll start at verse 16. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gibeah and Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp at three detachments. One turned towards uh, Ophrah in the vicinity of Shul, another towards Beth Horon, and the third towards a borderland overlooking the valley of Zebulun, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel who went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes, and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of the Philistines has gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. And with him about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. Just a little background of that. Eli was judged by God for not doing what he was supposed to do. His sons died. And there was this, there was this child born, and the child's name was Ichabod. And it meant the Spirit of God had departed them. So now you have a descendant of Ichabod as the priest. Come on, that ain't good. You have a king that's not listening. This is a bad scenario. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash and the other toward the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. And I love the way he says this here. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on. We'll cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we have come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrew The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed. His armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about half an acre. Panic struck the whole army, verse 15. 
Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. And Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. If you get on to verse 20, it says, Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines had gone and had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. And the battle moved on beyond beth Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, that you are faithful every time. There is no unfaithfulness in you. Lord, we ask you today to transform our minds, to trust you more. That our faith in you would cause action. And Lord, that we would not rest until you come that we will push forward for your kingdom we thank you for it in christ's name we pray and everyone said amen and amen all right you may be seated a little bit before uh this happens saul the first king of israel has um has disobeyed samuel and uh the prophet, and he um, getting ready to have a battle. Saul is waiting on Samuel. Samuel says he'll be there at a certain time. He doesn't show up at a certain time. And so Saul takes it upon himself to do something only the prophet was supposed to be doing. And uh, God judged him for it. So Saul is not in good standings with God. He explains to him that, that he is going to anoint a king after his own heart. And that Saul has um, Saul's been rejected. So now we find Saul uh, ready to have another battle with the Philistines. They were actually under the Philistines' thumb. And um, you find out that Saul has 600 men left with him. And a lot of the men had left and went over to the side of the Philistines. Listen, some people in your life when it gets difficult are going to take the easy route. You can guarantee that. I heard a guy say one day, the people that got you here may not get you there. So so we fret a lot of times over the people that leave us. And uh, and so oftentimes when you when you read through scripture and you see uh, God that God's gonna do something miraculous in a group of people, he starts to weed people out. He starts to say, hey, listen, I can do it with less. I don't, I don't need a huge crowd to make this happen. I don't need a huge army to make this happen. You're going to see how I can pull this off. I'm God. So there's people that were afraid. They were hiding. There's people that went over to the Philistines. And so Saul is left under a tree, under a pomegranate tree, which if you know me, I think eating pomegranates is dumb because it's just so hard to eat. And I don't know what to eat on it because I'm told not to eat the seeds of an apple, but the pomegranate's different. I don't understand. 
So he's hanging out while the Philistine army is sending out raiding parties. There will be times in your life where you feel overwhelmed, outnumbered, feel like it's impossible. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to work out. It doesn't seem like you're going to make it. It doesn't seem like there's any chance. And to make things worse in this story, nobody even had any weapons. The Philistines had had forbidden anybody to be a blacksmith in Israel and had and had made it so even to get your farming tools sharpened, you had to go to a Philistine blacksmith. And they were charging exorbitant rates to do that. They were taking advantage of the whole situation. So you can imagine assembling uh, an army. You have 600 men left and no, no weapons. I don't, those aren't good odds. Now they let Saul and Jonathan keep their weapons. Um, yeah, whatever. You can keep yours. This is two of you. We're not worried about that. Got a whole Philistine army here. And so, so the scene is not a great one. The scene is, is actually kind of overwhelming. And it, and it feels like the longer Saul sits there, the less capable his army's getting. He's actually losing people. They're deserting. They're trying to figure out. Then he does the count again and figures out that his own son and armor bear aren't even there. He doesn't know why. He just knows that they're not there. There's a pivotal point in our lives where we have a choice of whether things seem to be overwhelming, whether we're going to move forward or we're going to sit back. And, um, and a lot of times it seems so overwhelming that it's difficult to even make the choice. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Man, the enemy is coming after us. By the way, can I make sure you understand that the enemy never really stops pursuing you? It says the Philistines were sending out raiding parties. One of the issues with, with the way the American church works is that we are a, um, we're, we're kind of a docile creature. As long as things are going well in our life, we're not really aggressive. We can, we can kind of lay back on the prayer. We can kind of lay back on the Bible reading. We can kind of lay back. Everything's going well. I don't want to screw it up. I want to pray some prayer of faith and then have my life get ruined. Some of you know what that looks like, don't you? Lord, I want to serve you with everything. And then you're like, whoa. What you have to understand is Satan is consistently coming at you. He's, he, he never lets up. The Bible says that his goal in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and he's constantly pushing. If you look at our culture, our culture never backs up towards God. It, it, never, it never moves toward God. Our culture constantly gets worse and worse. Why is that? Because, the, because Satan is constantly pursuing. He's constantly on the aggression. He's constantly trying to move towards us. And so you have a picture here of two different mentalities. I'll sit here and wait till my 
all my army dissipates, basically, or I could be like Jonathan. And I can look at the armor bearer and say, hey, bro, let's go do something. Let's go do something. And so what happens is Jonathan decides, I'm not going to tell anybody. You know what the best thing for you to do is to not tell anybody. I know we live in a, in a, in a world of social media and, um, and, we, uh, and we feel like that we're not good people if we don't post something every 45 seconds or so. <laughs> One of the frustrating things for me, and I don't, I don't post a whole lot of things online because I don't want you to know me, really. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not that. It's like... If I don't care what I eat, why would I think you would? Right? I just don't think it's interesting information. Here's where we go wrong a little bit with social media. We get a little encouraged. We immediately run to social media and we tell everybody what we're going to do. Only to come back three weeks later having not done it. I absolutely love looking at Facebook and watching people go, well, it's come to a point in my life where I'm going to be off of Facebook. (laughs) So I looked down at my watch and I set this, uh, start the timer. Three days later, I couldn't stand it anymore. (laughs) Well, you lasted three days. Let's go with that. Oftentimes what we do is we go out and make these grand proclamations of who we're going to be, what we're going to do. And you find in scripture, people just kept their mouth shut and they just went and did it. They just went and did it. You know, it's actually easier that way because the more you tell people, the more people are going to look at you and go, oh, you can't do that. Oh, no. I think part of Jonathan's reason for not telling his dad is because he didn't want his dad going, no, 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 you can't do that. No, no, no. The other reason is, why would I want a bunch of people with no weapons climbing a hill with me? So he looks at his armor bearer and says, let's go. Let's go over to him. There's two cliffs. Let's reveal ourselves to him. But he, he makes this statement, and I think we should use this a lot. He says, let's go over to the Philistines And he says, and perhaps, perhaps, perhaps God will be with us. Can you find that scripture again and put it back up? I love the way he says it. Come, let us go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men, which is how I classify people today. (laughs) Sorry, it's the Old Testament. It's just how it works. Um, come let us go over to the enemy. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Let me stop there for a second. Faith is, you can't see it, Hebrews says. What you can see is the evidence of faith. It's the action. It's the evidence of things unseen. So, I believe in a God that I can't see And so what I'm doing proves that I believe in God. Do you get that? 
Not only what I say, what I do, it's the evidence of things unseen. That's what faith is. So here what we have is we have Jonathan looking at his armor bearer and said, Hey, come on, let's go up to the Philistines. Perhaps. And I just thought, man, that's a great word. Because here's the thing. You know, the right thing is always the right thing. And, and what, we, what we try to do as a church sometimes is we try to negotiate with God what the right thing is. Lord, if you would do this thing for me, then I would do this for you. Anybody want to raise their hand and be honest about you made deals with God like that? I have. I have. Like, God, if you would do that, man, I'll serve you. He's like, no, you won't. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm serious this time. I'm serious this time. Come on. You've had those conversations, right? Six weeks later, you forget you're into the bargain. Do you realize Jonathan is not asking God to do anything? This is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Perhaps God will be with us on it. It's the, it's the, it's the clearest definition of faith. So I'm not waiting. I'm not sitting back waiting on a blessing. You know, it's always easy to be generous if God fills the tank up before you have to use it. Right? It's always easy to do something if he gives you what you need before you get there. Lord, you supplied all of my needs. I've got so much, I don't know what to do with it. I'll give a little bit away. But God always works differently, doesn't he? We say, Lord, I'm going to be generous and perhaps. Yeah, it's called faith. Because all I have now is trust. So Jonathan looks at the guy and he says, hey, listen, perhaps. Could you imagine being his armor bearer? Bro, I need a little more encouragement than that, perhaps. What are you talking about? We're getting ready to crawl up here. These guys are going to whoop us. But the armor bearer didn't say that. He said, I'm with you, man. Heart and soul, let's do it. Whatever, whatever you think God wants us to do, let's do it. So, perhaps, perhaps, the right thing to do is the right thing to do. The right thing to do is the right thing to do. So watch this. Here's how it works out in our daily lives. Perhaps I should forgive somebody today. No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. I should forgive somebody today and perhaps the Lord will help me out on that. Because the right thing to do is the right thing to do, right? So we pray differently. We pray, God, make them into somebody that is forgivable. And then I'll forgive them. No, 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 no. The right thing to do is to forgive. And then perhaps the Lord will make something happen. The right thing to do is to treat my wife right. I told the first service, ladies, I throw softballs every, every week. Just like <laughs> toss them up there. All you got to do is. <laughs> the right thing to do is to treat my wife like God would treat her. And perhaps he would give me a better marriage. Amen. But just because it doesn't look like God has moved for me yet doesn't mean I shouldn't be on the move. Because, uh, listen, I grew up in, in church my whole life. I remember around four or five years old being in a blue Sunday school classroom in Hopewell, Virginia, accepting Christ. I, it's just, there's about a four-year span where I was too cool. But, uh, but it's, been, it's been my experience, right? And I can remember, I can remember the church saying for a long time, 
We're right, we're at the edge of the river. God's about to do something great. Anybody remember that type of language? God's about to do something great. We're at the edge of the promised land. We're going to, God's, and I, I used to sit around and think, why are we sitting at the edge? Why would, what are we waiting on? Now, if you know me, I've taken personality tests. I don't need any deliberation about anything. That used to get me in trouble, but like somebody would say, hey, let's do this. I'm like, do it. Let's go. Worried about getting arrested later. Um, I never, I don't, I don't, (laughs) this is bad to say. I don't think about things a lot. I don't. (laughs) My, but the whole time we've been married, I, I would tell my wife, I could do it, mess it up, and fix it before they can even figure out what to do. <laughs> he used to frustrate me so bad in the church, the church of all people. We would proclaim how we were waiting on the edge of something. We're just waiting. God's going to do something great. God's going to do something great. We're at the edge of the promised land. We use all those Old Testament uh, analogies. We're at the edge of the promised land. We're at the edge of the river. And and I'm sitting here thinking, you guys sit on the edge of the river. I'm jumping in. I'm going to get wet. Everybody's like, well, geez. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, I don't know what you're waiting on. You've heard me say before, I hate defense. I hate defense. I love watching a game where everybody's just scoring like crazy. Whoever can't score the most loses. <laughs> Play a defensive game. I want to see touchdowns throw nonstop. I want to see guys bust it. I want to see so much offense it makes you sick. Because we were created to be on offense. You realize the son of God did not come to earth to play defense. He came to earth to die on the cross. That was offense. He didn't come to earth to be just the meek and mild lamb holding safe. He came to earth to kick the devil's butt for good forever. And the church plays defense nonstop. We say, oh, the devil, the devil. The devil is always attacking. And we're always, well, the devil did this to me this week. You'll never hear me say that. What, the only thing the devil does to me is what I let him. So he's created us to be on the move. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for you to make a move. It's time for you to make a move. I know the shade of the pomegranate tree is really nice this time of year. I know you're waiting on them to drop off and you want to, that terrible fruit. You got to pick all the seeds out and eat it. I know you're waiting on all that. I know you're waiting on God to do something in your life. I know you're waiting on him to do something in your life. But listen to me. God moves with people that move. And you can look all through scripture in obedience and faith always gets the attention of God. Obedience and faith always gets the attention of God. So Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, hey, come on, man, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Perhaps, perhaps God will be with us. And then he says this. God can deliver whether it's a big army or a small. It don't even matter. You and me are going to climb up this hill and we're going to kick some Philistine butt. So they go out, they show themselves to the Philistines. They make their move. The Philistines look down and say, hey, look at those Hebrews crawling out of the 
crawling out of their hiding places. Come on up, we'll teach you a lesson. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, that's all I need to hear. Let's get it. He says they climb up, hand over hand. They climb up, armor bearer right behind him. When they get to the top, they kill 20 men in the area of about a half an acre. Now listen. What you don't want to do here is you don't want to discredit the fact that Jonathan can kick butt. Yeah. Because here's what the church has a tendency to do sometimes. We have a tendency to downplay people's role to the point where it doesn't matter. Now watch. Jonathan exercises faith. Perhaps he'll be with us. He can deliver even if it's a small army. Climbs up. Kills 20 men, him and his armor bearer, 20 men within the area of about a half an acre. God takes what Jonathan does and then turns the whole Philistine army into chaos and they start attacking each other. Here's what I want to let you know. That God wants to exponentially increase the work of your hand. He doesn't operate in spite of you. He operates with you. He operates through you. So Saul, his dad, is sitting down under a pomegranate tree while his military is dissipating before his very eyes, doing nothing, hoping that the Spirit of God shows up to bail him out. And his son says, he can deliver us. Let's start the attack. That's a different mentality. That's a totally different mentality. So, as a church, should we be sitting back praying, God, I hope you do something about this. I hope you do something about this. Lord, I really need you to do something about this. No. God, the right thing to do here, I've already read it in your word. The right thing to do here is this. And I know if I do this, perhaps you'll do that. I know if I do this, perhaps you'll do that. And here's the beautiful thing. This is really awesome. When Jonathan and his armor bearer went up on the, on the cliff and killed those Philistines, it sent a panic throughout the whole Philistine army. The, Lord, the Bible says the Lord sent a panic through them to the point where they couldn't figure anything out. Do you know what the result of that was? The people who had abandoned them before came back. The people who were hiding before came back. Do you know what I believe about this church, about you? About all of you that are meeting here right now. About this building. About about a church being aggressive towards what God has called them to do. You know what I believe? You've heard me say this before. In America, the church is not growing. 85% of the church is plateaued or declining. Other countries, Central, South America, Africa, the church is rapidly expanding. In America, it's not the case. But I believe this. I believe if there are a few churches that are willing to climb up the hill and start the attack, then it creates a scenario where other people then can come back to where God wants them to be. Amen. Yeah, that was pretty good. Listen. You have to think past, you have to think past what the building looks like. You have to think past 
the size of it, you have to think, oh, this is neat, this is cool, this is our church. You have to think past all that, and you have to think, can we influence the church to be aggressive again? Because I don't remember God ever playing defense, ever. Hail Mary, Hail Mary. God's sending the long ball every time. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm not coming to do a little bit. I'm coming to do everything. Once and for I'm coming to win. I'm coming to be aggressive. I'm coming to seek and save those that are lost. I'm coming to advance the kingdom. And when we grab a hold of that as a church, which you did this week, we're not going to sit around and wait until some until God, we're not going to wait on the side of the river. We're going to make a move. Make a move. God, you'll be with us. We're going to make, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to reach out. We're going to, we're going to reach out to our families and our communities and our coworkers. We're not going to sit still any longer. We're going to make a move. Make a move. God, should we build a building? I've been waiting on you to do that. I've been waiting on you to do that. Been trying to figure out how long you're going to try to jam that many people in that little thing. I've been waiting on you to do that. You know, your foyer is terrible. (laughs) Women's bathroom's terrible. (laughs) I've been waiting on you to do that. All right, Lord. We're going to go ahead and climb to the top of the cliff and perhaps you'll be with us. Amen. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you today. God, we're climbing the cliff. And we know, Lord, that you're going to win the victory for us. Not just a little skirmish, but you're going you're gonna to end up confusing the enemy because we moved. So I pray that you rise up faith within every person in here. Lord, I pray they make a move in their marriage. I pray they make a move with their kids. I pray they make a move at work. I pray they make a move towards you against the enemy. I pray that that, they're, that you cast out all fear. I pray, Lord, that we wake up every morning and say we're going to do the right thing. And perhaps God will be with us because we know we can win with a little army or a big. It doesn't matter. We're doing the right thing. We're being aggressive for his kingdom. God, I pray that you'd put confidence in our hearts that when we move, you exponentially multiply. God, I pray that we wake up every morning with the with the God-given intentionality to make your kingdom go forward. We thank you for this opportunity we have. We thank you for the miraculous things you've done this week, Lord. And we pray that you'd keep us on offense. And when we move, we pray you'd bless, God. We pray you'd increase in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, can you give praise and honor one more time?